Turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. I want to talk to you today about uh, <clears throat> there's something about you that makes you stand out, whether you want to or not. Some of you know this, most of you should know this, but you carry a presence with you that is not of this earth. God himself is on you. And all the angelic beings, good and bad, can spot you a mile away because you carry the glory and the presence of God with you. But are you aware of it? And do you revere that? Do you reverence that presence of God in your life? You know, sometimes when we come into church, we don't realize what we're carrying. Amen. And so we, we, uh, we don't... Um, uh, we don't glow as brightly as we could if we would show that presence more reverence. And I'm not saying this in a critical way. I'm not saying this to put anybody down. I'm just saying, you know, we're so familiar with something that is so unfamiliar that we don't realize what other people may realize. <clears throat> and we don't see what other people may see. <clears throat> Ruth and I, <clears throat> you know, traveling, you know, we, we stopped at several rest areas along the way. And yesterday, coming back, we stopped at this rest area, and we get out. And there's this family there. They're in a black expedition, you know, with a luggage rack on top, Georgia license tags. And uh, they're, you know, they're stopped at the rest area. And uh, these ladies are coming out, and it's a, it's a mother and her mother and this little girl. And just as we pulled up, they're coming out, and they, <clears throat> there was just something striking about them. And Ruth remarked, you know, she said, isn't that little girl just precious? And isn't that mother beautiful? And, and uh, you know, and I'm, I'm watching them, and I noticed the dad over there, he's adjusting something on the vehicle, and and it just occurred to me, just strongly, that was a Christian family. Those people had it all over them. It was written all over them. And we get out of the car, and the, they're walking by, and the little girl turns around and looks at me and just smiles. And she's probably, what, two years old maybe? Maybe not even that old. But she just turned and looked at me and smiled. And I could just see this girl, this girl is loved. I mean, this, this girl, this girl is, is, is doted on. I mean, you, and you could just tell by the way the, the grandmother and the mother were acting that, you know, you know don't get near our baby. <laughs> you know, <we're>, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, and I, I, just, I was just thinking about that last night. I was thinking about how obvious it was that that, that was a Christian. I mean, I know if I'd stopped him and said, do you people know the Lord? I know I would have got a definite yes, because it was just unquestionable. 
And there are people, uh, you know, you notice, you know, you'll notice them at the mall. You'll notice them, you know, when you're out doing whatever you're doing. You'll notice people just stand out to you. And you have that immediate witness that you're, you're looking at someone who knows the Lord like you know the Lord. And then I wonder, you know, I, I, I was thinking about it last night. I, want, I wonder if when those people saw me and Ruth, if they recognized the presence of God on us. I hope so. <clears throat> of course, you know, most folks, you know, when, when they look at you, they don't see you. When they, when they pass you, they, they're thinking about themselves. A lot of folks spend more time thinking about themselves than anybody else. And, uh, you know, I'm always reminding Ruth, you know, you know don't, she's saying, well, I wonder what they were, they were thinking when they were looking at me kind of funny. And I said, they probably had gas. <laughs> I, said, they were probably, I said, I guarantee you they most likely weren't thinking about you. They were thinking about themselves. Because most people live that way. And, uh, but Christians should not. Christians should always be uh, aware of their circumstances and their surroundings. We need to be like Peter and John going into the church to pray. They, they, they stopped and noticed the lame man sitting at the door. And they made a, an eternal impact on that man's life, not only him, but all the people who witnessed that notable miracle. Because, because they, were, they were carrying something. You know, Peter said, silver and gold, we have none, but that which we do have, we give unto you. See, Peter was aware that he had something. And what he had was the presence of God in his life, in his fullness. Remember we were singing that song, all that you have for all that I need? You know, if we really believe that God has given us all that he has, then we would not have any sense that we need anything else. And we wouldn't sing those songs so, so much, uh, you know, so woefully, Lord, I, I need you, Lord. I'm desperate for you, Lord. I need you, Lord. You know, I, I, I think about that, and we, you know, there are songs that actually sing that. You know, and, and they sound so wonderful, but I thought, if I really believe that all he has has been given to me, and I, I actually possess the fullness of God in my life, then how could I go to God and beg for more? So, you know, it's a faith issue, right? And sometimes we sing songs and we say things and we behave in a manner that belies the truth and the fact that God has held nothing back from us. But he has actually literally given us his whole self. The fullness of God now dwells in the church bodily. Amen? And, uh, you know, and that's a long introduction, but I, I want to show you the, a little bit of a progression of this in the Scriptures. And first we start in Exodus 33 with Moses. And I could have started all the way back with Adam. You know, Adam and Eve, they had the glory of God. They were clothed in it. I mean, when they were created, their clothing was God. They wore him. They wore him like a coat, like a skin. But when they sinned, they were stripped of that, and they were naked and, and, uh, and ashamed. And so the quest of mankind is to regain that cloaking of God's glory. And man has fallen so short of God that we have this sin consciousness instead of a God consciousness. 
But Jesus has delivered us from the sin and the shame. Has he not? Are you walking in that deliverance? Are you still naked? Are you still naked and ashamed? Or have you accepted the Lord's covering? See, the Bible says we're covered over in his righteousness. He's, 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 we've regained our status with God, and, and it's called righteousness or right standing. And therefore, we are now clothed again in his glory. And when God looks at us, he looks at us through that covering. We can call it, the, you know, we're covered in the blood, we're covered in the righteousness. When God looks at us, he looks at us, he sees us through the cross, however you want to put it. When God looks at us, he doesn't see us ashamed. He doesn't see us naked. He sees us uh, uh, clothed in that which he has prepared for us, the wedding garment that he's put around us. And, uh, and uh, you know, I haven't even got to the scripture yet, but, uh, you know, there's some really profound stuff coming out here. And I want you to hear it because I, I believe the Spirit of God is talking to us right now. And he wants you to, he wants you to be aware uh, on, a, on a constant day-by-day -day basis of his presence and his glory that is covering you at all times. I mean, while you're sleeping, you, you know, if you could see what God sees, you're glowing in the bed. I'm telling you, you're, you're like a glow worm in the dark. And the angels see you, and the demons, they, 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 they know. They know this is holy, this is hallowed ground, because of the covering that is covering you. And uh, Exodus 33, you know, Moses, in his desire to know God and, and to experience God, he's up on the mountain, the mountain, you know, and, and he says to the, you know, he's talking to God. Let's start at verse 13. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And God said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. You might want to underline that. God said to Moses, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. You see, where he is, there's rest. Doesn't that correspond with Matthew 11, I think, where Jesus said, Matthew 28, 11, 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me. Amen. He's, so when we, when we, when we real, the more we realize about who the Lord is in our life, the more rest we have. Amen? How many of you feel rested today? Well, maybe not physically because of, you know, whatever you've been up to this week, but, but, but in your spirit and soul realm, you should be at rest. You shouldn't be tormented in your mind. You shouldn't be afflicted in your soul. You should be rested. Because you've come into the Lord. The Lord is a place of rest for you. And, and uh, so he, he says that to, to Moses. And then Moses said this. If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Now, why would he ask that? Why would he say that after God said, I'm, uh, my presence will go with you? 
Now, everybody here should know Moses was human. And this is a human frailty. God will tell you something, and then you'll ask him a dumb question. God will tell you something, and you'll say, well, if that's true, woo, God is merciful. Amen. Have you ever had God tell you something and say, I don't believe it? I know Ruth has. <laughs> you know, Ruth is pretty transparent. She's like an open book, you know, and she's that way to God. You know, she's honest. At least she's honest. You know, one time the Lord told her, don't pull over and stop. You know, you're going to have, you'll have car trouble. And she said, oh, Lord, it'll be okay. You'll see. So she pulls over, and guess what? She had to call a tow truck. She actually told the Lord, no, Lord, it, it'll be okay. You'll see. That's the woman I live with right there. You know, and, uh, and, and so if I, if, I'll tell you what. If me and the Lord want Ruth to know something, we call Amy. And Amy has this gift of persuasion over her mother that, that neither me or the Lord has. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Sort of. Amen. Ruth is a joy to live with. I'll tell you what, I don't have a dull moment. <clears throat> Amen. I mean, in the car yesterday, I'm driving along. She's, she's laying back. In the seat, she's covered up with a, a blanket and got a pillow, you know. I thought she was asleep, and, and uh, she looked like she was asleep. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, she raises up and says, watch out for that car. <laughs> then she lays back down and goes back to sleep. And I'm thinking. <laughs> well, well, my first thought was, which car? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> anyway, that's, that's, that's the woman I live with. And uh, there's, uh, she is a constant presence, a presence. And, uh, and God is like that. God is always with us. He's always talking to us. He's always warning us. He's always giving us a heads up if we would just listen. Amen? So anyway, Moses, you know, he, I guess he doubted a little bit. So, uh, verse 16, he says, For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? How, how are we going to know we found grace in your sight? This is after the exodus. This is after the ten, ten plagues. This is after the biggest healing service of all time. This is after God spared them from the death angel. This is after he drowned the Egypt and the Egyptians in the Red Sea. This is after they parted on dry, uh, you know, walked across on dry ground. Lord, how are we going to know we found grace with you? I mean, the more you read this, the more you think, boy, Moses was really human, kind of like me. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing also that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name, Moses. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. 
And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass. By the way, Jesus is the rock. Thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. And so God granted Moses' request. He got to see God in his glory. He couldn't see him in all of his glory, but God did allow him to have a glimpse. Amen. Just a glimpse. Everybody say, Moses got a glimpse. Moses got a glimpse. Well, but then he came down off the mountain, Exodus 34, 29. It says, as it came to pass, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation uh, returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. So when Moses came down from that experience of just getting a glimpse of God's glory, his face lit up like a light bulb. It was so bright they couldn't look at him. See, there, there, was, there was something on him. I, I, I mean, he didn't have a born-again experience, and he didn't get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but he just got a glimpse of God. He got a glimpse of God's glory, and it radiated his, his, uh, his body. He was he radioactive. You know. He glowed in the dark. And that continued for a long time after that, to the point that when he, had, when he met with the people in public, he put, a, he put a veil over his face because they couldn't look at him. He was too bright to look at. Now imagine if, you, if they'd seen him at the mall, people would have said, there's something about that guy. There's something on him. And it was the glory of God. Have y'all figured that out yet? It was the glory of God that was on him. Well, you know, let's just skip on down to the New Testament, and we'll find out that there was something about Jesus, too. Uh, look in, G in uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 9, uh, uh, Jesus' baptism. I, I, want you to, I want you to see that Jesus did not stand out from the crowd for 30 years. He was, he was uh, anonymous, unknown, except to his family and those that grew up around him. But uh, he, was not, he was not famous. But then one day he comes, he comes up to John the Baptist, and he asked John the Baptist to baptize him. In Mark chapter 1, verse 9, it says, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open. Jesus saw the heavens open. And the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. Not a literal dove. A bird didn't just fly over and drop down on him. It was the Holy Spirit, like as a dove, or in gentle uh, uh, purity, holy. The Holy Spirit 
came down and descended upon Jesus, and there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. By the way, this, this scripture proves the Trinity. Amen. Jesus in the water, the Holy Spirit descending upon him in a voice from heaven. Amen. This is my beloved Son. There you have all three of them. It's not Clark Kent and Superman. It's, it's, uh, they're all three present at the same time. Jesus in the water, the dove, the Holy Spirit like a dove descending, and the Father speaking from heaven. Amen? So we know that at this point, this is when the, this is when the Holy Spirit actually came upon Jesus in a manner different than he had had the Holy Spirit previous. Now, I believe that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Ghost uh, from, from the, the Immaculate Conception. Amen? I believe Jesus was holy from the very beginning. And so you can't, you can't say he didn't have a measure of the Spirit uh, in his childhood and early adulthood. But at this moment, something happened that, that transformed him. And he became outed. As far as John the Baptist, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist is the one that outed him. Because he saw the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And, uh, and God had told him, you know, whenever you see uh, the Holy Spirit coming, and, and coming upon somebody, that's him. And so John just pointed out the obvious. That's him. And Jesus became uh, unhideable. He became uh, uh, very uh, detectable, very noticeable. And that's when he began to stand out. He began to stand out, not, not just by the mighty acts that he did, but his whole countenance, his whole person. Uh, he became like a magnet to people. And, and people, you know, when Jesus walked by after that, um, people noticed. Nobody noticed him when he, uh, when he walked up there to get baptized. But when he walked away, they were noticing him. And the same is true of you. There, there's something different about a person who's baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, <clears throat> look in Mark chapter 9, verse 2. We see Jesus uh, glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Something came over Jesus on that mountaintop that caused him to glow. His, even his clothing uh, became radiant. And he, he, he glowed like an a, like a angelic being. And then out of that cloud, that, that glory cloud that came down on that mountain, steps Elijah and Moses. The Bible says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. You know, that's the cloud. That's the cloud that, that descended upon that mountain. And out of that cloud stepped Moses and Elijah. That, that had to be an awesome moment. If I could have been anywhere during the biblical times, I, that's one place I would like to have been uh, with Peter and James and John just to witness that. And I promise you, Lord, I wouldn't say stupid things like they did. I would, I would, 
because I've read the Bible, you know. I know not to do that. They didn't know not to do that, but I know not to do that. So if I could go back in time and, and see that moment, wouldn't that be an awesome moment to see Jesus all glowy and watching him and Moses and Elijah having a little confab? Wow. But that was the moment of glory. And so, you know, that glory was upon Jesus. Well, when Jesus came down off of the mountain, he didn't leave the glory behind. Now, it might not, his clothing might not have shone as brightly and all that, but he, he, was still, he was still that person that glowed on the mountain. Amen. <clears throat> There's something about Jesus, wouldn't you say? Amen. Now, he could cloak it. Like when he rose from the dead, remember he's walking on the road to Emmaus, and there's these two guys, you know, his disciples, and they're all sad-like, and they're all, they're all, you know, just, you know, grieving the loss of Jesus, and he comes up alongside them. They didn't recognize who he was. You see, he was able to cloak that, and, and I guess, you know, uh, you know, we can too to a certain degree, but he wasn't able to cloak that very long until it popped out. And they said, whoa, did it? And they, then they realized even when he was cloaked, their hearts burned within them. And, uh, and I, I think if people can't see the glory of God on you, they ought to, uh, there ought to be something about you that, they can, they, that burns on the inside of them. It's like, you know, this person, there's something about this person. Well, there's something about Jesus. Amen. And you've got to remember, Jesus, uh, Jesus made this statement in John 17, in verse 4. He's, he's praying to the Father, and he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And that tells you he preexisted. If you ever doubted it, you know, it, it, here it is out of his own mouth. He preexisted before the world was. He said, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, <clears throat> and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. And now, look at John 14. John 14, verse 15. He says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. For he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But you see me, because I live, you shall live also. And at that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So, we're in, we're in a situation now where the Holy Spirit has come. Amen. You know, Acts chapter 2 says He came. And... Who did he come to? He came to the church, all the church. He was poured out upon all flesh, and as many as receive him, to them he gives the power to become the sons of God. And so Jesus said, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and I'm in you. 
So when you receive Jesus and you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the Father. The whole divine Godhead becomes uh, dwelling in you, on you, around you, and upon you. And so wherever you go, they go. You carry the presence of the fullness of the divine Godhead. You carry it wherever you go. You carry it wherever you go. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, <clears throat> they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So there's something about you. There's something about God. There's something about Moses. There is something about Jesus. There's something about the disciples. You know, in the book of Acts, when they were called up on the carpet because the, the lame man at the gate, beautiful, was healed, you know, the, the enemy, the bad guys, the Pharisees, they said they took note of them that they'd been with Jesus. They, 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 there's just something about these guys that set them apart and caused the very people who ordered the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, the very same people, Caiaphas, the high priest, the Sanhedrin, the very same people caused them to fear and back off. And it was the fact that they, they, they looked at these people and they saw the same spirit on them that was on Jesus. And they knew that these men had been with Jesus. Now, I remember when I was a teenage boy at home, I would go to my room and I'd spend time in my room just praying in my Bible. Uh, I'd get down on the floor and I'd just pray, read my Bible, talk to the Lord. Sometimes I would play music, you know, and just I'd just spend hours and hours there in my room and, and with the Lord. And uh, I would come out, walk through the house, and my mother would look at me and she said, well, you've been with the Lord, haven't you? And I said, how do you know? And she said, I can see it in your face. Well, I thought that was just my mother, you know, but after I got married, you know, and, and you know, I would do that, and, and my wife would say, wow, you know, you've been with the Lord, haven't you? How do you know? She said, I, I, I can see it in your face. Anytime, you know, the more we spend with God, the more it's going to show. And so I, I think one of, the, one of the worst things that can happen to us, to me and to you, is that that I, I, I grow a dull countenance. That I become flat somehow. And, and, uh, and, and the glow gets dimmed. And that happens to us because we get involved in the world. We get involved in other things. We get distracted. We get caught up. We, we, we get into the flesh. 
Now, obviously, sin and, and acts of the flesh will dull it, but, but sometimes doing the good things, doing things that are needed, doing things that, that uh, are acceptable uh, can, can get so dulling that, that you lose your shine. And there's only one way to polish up, folks, and that's to spend more time in His presence. Yeah. Amen? Amen? And to reverence that. You know, uh, one, of the, one of the greatest fears David had when he was caught in sin was that God would take his Holy Spirit from him. And he prayed, Lord, you know, do whatever you want to with me. Lord, do whatever you want to with me. Just please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And David was not baptized in the Holy Spirit, but he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And so he knew the difference. He knew the difference. Do you recognize the difference? between when you, when you are anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit and when you're not? Can you tell when it's slipping from you? Do you care? Do you value it enough and reverence it enough to want to get it back? Amen? Uh, Paul said in uh, Romans chapter 8, he says, For I reckon, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestations of the sons of God. And we've talked about this before, but I believe we're living in the day. And I believe we're living in that hour when the creation's groaning is going to be answered and, and the manifestation of the sons of God is going to become a reality and uh, 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 people have actually seen it I, I have a friend, Rand Montgomery some of you have met Rand Rand Montgomery had a, had a dream and in this dream God took him up above the earth and he looked down he looked down upon a, a, a map of, you know, like of the United States, he could see he could see the whole country from sea to shining sea, and it was dark. It was like at night, and there was, but there was there. It was just black. And then he said, he, all of a sudden, he saw he saw little pr pinpricks of light start coming on all over the nation, all over the nation. And then he saw these lights became so so many that they became just big splotches of light. And then he saw them coming together and, 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 and filling the whole nation with light. And the Lord says, let me take you closer. And the closer he got, those lights were people that were carrying his glory. And the glory was just getting brighter and brighter on them until it lit up the whole landscape. And, and, uh, and, and that was a prophetic, prophetic dream of what God is doing. I believe he's doing it now. Rand, Rand had a dream 15 years ago. But I believe it's happening in, in our day now. Uh, God is turning up the lights. He's turning up the flame. He's turning up the glow in his people. And the manifestation, that word manifestation means uh, to become evident, to become obvious, or in unmistakable. I believe it's like we're all uh, arriving at the Mount of Transfiguration and that transforming light and that glow is going to start showing out through us. 
And we will be like rays of light and rays of hope to a world in darkness. And everywhere you go, you won't be able to hide. And I, I'm telling you this so you'll behave. When you're put on the spotlight, you need to behave. Amen? You need to represent the Lord well. You need to represent Him properly. You know, it's no time to get in the flesh. It's no time to be ugly. It's no time to have road rage or anything of that nature. Right? Because you are God's witnesses. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, He said, After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you see, there's something about you. When the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me. Everywhere. In Jerusalem, right here where you live. In Judea, that's across town. And uh, in Samaria, that's in those neighborhoods where you don't go. You know? Uh, and uh, and into, into the uttermost parts of the earth. What does it mean to be a witness? One, one thing it means, it means to stand out. You know, when you're in a court case and they call you to be the witness, they don't let you sit back there in the, in the uh, auditorium like Lisa. You know, we just let her stand up there a while ago, and she just testified from, from the congregation. But if you're going to be a witness in court, you've got to come up to the witness stand. See, a witness is someone who takes the stand. Amen? And then the spotlight's on you. What happens when you're on the stand? Everybody's looking at you. Everybody's watching you. The witness stand is in perfect view of the jury. Right next to the judge. I mean, he can wrap you on, his head, on the head if he wants to. The witness is pretty prominent. And then when the witness speaks, they, you know, if the witness just kind of mumbles, they say, please speak louder. Speak up. Speak up where the whole court can hear you. They don't like it when you just whisper on the witness stand. Be direct. And give your testimony. Amen? Well, when you've got the glow worm on you, in you, and you're, and you're glowing like an angel on the mountain, you need to speak up. You need to take your stand. Amen? The witnesses of God in this day and hour don't need to be cloaked. They don't need to be covered up, hidden under a bushel. They don't need to be closeted. And they don't need to be timid or backward. We need to speak up. I was talking with Brother Bradley before church about how sad it is that we Christians have allowed uh, a situation happened where if, uh, if uh, somebody starts talking to you about Jesus, they think you're a Mormon. Or if you go door to door and you knock on doors, they think you're a Jehovah's Witness. If you carry a Bible around and, and dress nicely, they think you're a Mormon. Isn't it sad that the world thinks the only people who are out knocking on doors and testifying about Jesus are cult members. And the reason for that is we have not taken the witness stand. We have not stood as we should and let our light shine. 
and we need to be more vocal. We need to more, listen, you know, like Bradley and I were talking, we don't have anything to be ashamed of. We don't have a thing to be ashamed of. We're not wrong. We represent the truth. We represent God Almighty. The glory of God lives and dwells within us and radiates out from us. Even, even the demons know we're Christians. So you're not going to hide. You get on an airplane and somebody says, you know, is, can anybody here pray? This plane's going down. You better be the first one they call on. Amen? It should stand out. Amen. Be outstanding for Jesus. Can you say praise the Lord? 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Think about that. If, you, if your countenance has grown dark, the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts, he says. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, that's pretty good scripture. Let me step aside so you can read that. Amen. Read that. Jimmy, read that out loud, real loud. Yes, sir. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Ooh, that just gives me shivers. God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Remember that? Y'all remember, well, you weren't there, but you remember reading about it. God stepped out in darkness, and he said, light be. He commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. Has shined in our hearts. There's no darkness in our hearts. The light of God is glowing in there. Amen? And he wants it to give witness to the glory of God. What does it mean in the face of Jesus Christ? It, it honors Jesus. Amen? So, let's reverence the one we carry with us. And, uh, you know, my points were there's something about Jesus, there's something about his disciples, and there's something about you. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but my title is not that. My title is there's someone about you. There's someone. It's not something. See, the glory of God is not a thing. It's God. There's someone about you. And everybody's wondering about what that is. Amen? So let's manifest it. Not be ashamed. If we will reverence who we carry, he will only grow in his obvious presence. Amen? If we want more of the presence of God in the sanctuary, in the church, when we come together, maybe we should walk in here with that on our mind. That we're here carrying the very presence of God in with us. And when we get in here, we're, we're going to release that. And fill, fill the four corners of this room with the very presence of God. And not talk about politics, not talk about sports, not talk about the weather, not talk about, not talk about, you know, we need to reverence what we carry to the point that that's on our mind. Amen? 
I want to end with a, a story that I read about Smith Wigglesworth. You know, he was before our time. He was, uh, 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 you know, an apostle of faith. And uh, he was such a person that he, uh, he wouldn't read a newspaper. He wouldn't listen to the radio. And that was back before TV. So he, he, was, uh, he, he was very guarded in what he allowed into his mind. If you came to his house, you know, uh, I think Lester Sumrall uh, visited his house one time in England. And he knocked at the door, and Lester had a newspaper under his arm. And he, when he got to the door, Smith Wigglesworth, he was an old man then, he opened the door, and he said, you can come in, but that newspaper's got to stay outside. He was very guarded. And, and, but he was a man of great faith. He raised people from the dead, did tremendous miracles in his ministry. You know, God, God certainly was on the man. But one of the stories that I heard about him was he was riding on a train somewhere in Europe. And uh, he was staying in one of those little uh, places where they sleep, a little berth. And he, and he wanted to go to the dining hall, the dining car. And so he, he uh, comes out of his room and he goes down to the washroom and he washes his hands. And while he's washing his hands, he's, just, he's praying. He's talking to the Lord. And he says something like, Lord, he says, I'm going to the dining hall. I want to represent you well there. You know, something like that. And so he goes to the, you know, he steps across the, to the next car into the dining hall. He opens the door and he steps in, doesn't say a word. He just steps in there and people are in there eating. And, you know, you can, you can hear the plates and the knives and forks hitting the plates and all, all the people talking and chattering. But as soon as he stepped into that car, everything stopped. There was not a sound. And suddenly, you could hear the sound of people weeping and crying out to God and asking God for forgiveness. And he hadn't even opened his mouth. But he carried the presence of the Lord. There's another story. He was in the United States, and he went, uh, he went to tour a, a factory. It was a sewing factory. And, uh, and, and uh, he asked if he could go in and speak to the people. And the, the, the manager of the factory said, well, we can't stop them from working. And, and all those sewing machines going and all that. He said, you know, they won't be able to hear you, but you can go in there and, you know, shout. Maybe, maybe a few people close by will hear you. And he said, that's all I asked for. And so uh, they opened the door to this factory, and sure enough, there were sewing machines and everything, all the noise you can imagine, people talking, shouting at each other, and, and sewing machines going. And he steps into that room, that factory room, and suddenly everything went quiet. And then people began to fall on the floor and start crying out to God. He hadn't said a word yet. He hadn't preached his sermon yet. It was just he carried, he carried God himself into that room, and that's all that was needed. You see, in many cases, all that's needed is not what you're going to say, but what you carry. You're carrying the God Almighty. And boy, I think about that when I'm called to a hospital and I know I'm going to walk into a situation. 
And I, I'll tell you what I do. I pray in tongues all the way there. It don't matter if I'm prayed up before I leave. I, all, all the way there, I'm praying in tongues. I'm charging my batteries. I'm building. And, and, I, and I'm saying, Lord, Lord, I don't want to go in there if you don't go with me. I'm just like Moses. I said, Lord, d- uh, don't let me go in there if, I, if you're not going with me. Because I can't help them. I don't know anything. I can't do anything. I mean, I'm, I'm just a man. What do I know? You know, just the fact that I can get in there sometimes is a miracle. Sometimes they won't even let you in. And, and so I always pray and, 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 and I walk in knowing and really respecting and reverencing the presence of God. Because I know without Him, I can do nothing. But with God, all things are possible. And I've seen people that were terminal. Just, I remember one guy, he was, in a, he was in an oxygen tent, and he was in a coma. And they said, well, you, you can speak through this little, they had this little uh, round circle thing with little grooves on it. Said, you can speak through that, but he can't hear you. He's out. And so I just, I just put my mouth to that, and I said, uh, his name, his name, they called him Papa John, Papa John O'Keefe. And I said, Papa John, this, this is Pastor Thomas, and I just, I'm just here. I just want you to know that Jesus is here, and Jesus will touch you. And Jesus is able to heal you and raise you up. No sign of any acknowledgement or anything. And so, you know, I, I leave. But I, I, I knew enough that I knew because I walked in there, I knew Jesus was there. I knew I carried that much. I didn't have a lot of faith. I had faith in Jesus, but I didn't have faith in the situation. Two days later, I'm driving down the highway, going to the coffee shop, and I see this pickup truck go by, and I look, and I double look, and it's Papa John O'Keefe driving his pickup truck. And guess where he? Guess where I, I, I met up with him, at the coffee shop. I walk into the coffee shop. He got there before I did. I walk in there. He's sitting at the back table. It was a single wide trailer house that they'd converted into a coffee shop. But it was the only one in town. And so the mayor was there, the president of the bank was there, the, the sheriff was there, uh, several, several of the county, county officers were there, and I would go there every morning and I'd drink coffee with the town fathers. And I walk in there and he's sitting at the back table with the mayor, and he, he says, you see that man right there? He said, he'll never buy coffee again as long as I'm alive. And he bought my coffee that day. And Papa John O'Keefe, two days later, two days after I saw him in that oxygen tent. I'm telling you, people, what you carry is potent. But if you don't have faith in what you carry, you're not going to let it shine. Amen? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Amen. You know, Billy Sunday, the great evangelist, 
Every one of his crusades started with the same song. Brighten the corner where you are. Brighten the corner where you are. Someone far from harbor you may guide across the shore. Brighten the corner where you are. Amen. And thousands upon thousands of people were brought into the kingdom of God because people were willing to brighten the corner. Amen. Amen. I just challenge you, you don't, I'm not sending you out to save the world. I'm just sending you out to brighten the corner where you are. Amen? Praise God. We're going to serve you communion. We're going to, we're going to celebrate how Jesus uh, took away our shame and gave us his glory. Amen? Jesus found me naked and ashamed. And he clothed me. He took away my shame, washed me in his blood, and gave me a new name. And it's written down in glory. And it's mine. Oh, yeah. It's mine. Praise the Lord. You know that song? There's a new name in glory. There's a new name in glory, and it's mine. Praise the Lord. Search your hearts. Matter of fact, you might ask the Holy Spirit to do that right now. You could just say, Holy Spirit, search my heart. And if there's anything in me, Holy Spirit, search me. And every place in me that obstructs the light, that dims the light from shining out of my life, I ask that you cleanse me of it now. Convict me. And I repent. Convict me, and I will repent. And I will receive the cleansing and the washing of the blood. Because I really respect the one I carry. I really respect your presence in my life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And as the Holy Spirit is faithful, He'll put His finger on something. It's not to condemn you. It's to liberate you. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of something, it's not because He's your enemy, it's He's your friend. <clears throat> and He's wanting to clear up the situation and to deliver you from the problem so that you can be free. So whatever it is the Holy Spirit puts His finger on, gladly give it up. Gladly surrender it to Him. Gladly go from it. Put it aside. Put it away from you forever. Say, Lord, I, I, I don't want that being a curtain over the window of my soul that hides the light. And he's faithful and just. The scripture says, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Hold the bread up and just thank the Lord that he suffered in his own body so that by his stripes we are healed.
Thank you, Jesus. Let's eat together. And the blood that cleanses, the blood that washes, is none other than the blood of God's own Son. And the Bible says that it was collected and taken into heaven and poured out over the mercy seat of heaven. And that the blood yet speaks that we are forgiven. What does the blood say? The blood says, I no longer have shame, which means I'm clothed in his righteousness. Hallelujah. And his righteousness glows. His righteousness shines. You can't hide it. Amen. A man who lives right and does right stands out. Amen. God doesn't want to hide you. He doesn't want to act like he's ashamed or embarrassed by you. God wants to show you off. He used to have to use a stick and cause it to bud. You know, Aaron's rod that budded. That's how God used to show off. But now he's got you. So that, that rod that budded, it's, it's hidden away somewhere. It's in a box. God uses you to be his show-off stick. Amen? So how many of you are ready to bud for the glory of God? Amen. Let's drink it together. It's all because of the blood.